This is America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C., an initiative of the U.S.-based think tank International Leaders Summit in partnership with Lancer Broadcasting Corporation and Supertalk Mississippi Media. Thank you for joining us on America's Roundtable. I'm Joe Lott Sami, your co-host, joined by economist Natasha Serdorch, co-founder of International Leaders Summit and the Jerusalem Leaders Summit. America's Roundtable guests include leading voices from business, government, media, energy, technology, healthcare, and the broad policy arena. Subscribe to America's Roundtable on Apple Podcasts, Amazon, and Spotify. Visit America's Roundtable at americasrt.com. americasrt.com. Follow us on Facebook, America's Roundtable, and Twitter at americasrt. We invite donors and advertisers to reach us by visiting our website, americasrt.com. Welcome to America's Roundtable. A good morning and welcome to America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C. This weekend on America's Roundtable, we are honored to be joined by a principal leader and one of the most brilliant minds of our time, Professor Victor Davis Hanson. His extraordinary work is prescient, and the articles and the books that he has authored have challenged and inspired us all. Our distinguished guest, Victor Davis Hanson, is a senior fellow at the Hoover Institution. His focus is classics and military history. And we would like to encourage our listeners to get your personal copy of Professor Victor Davis Hanson's recent book, A Must Read. Its title is The Dying Citizen, How Progressive Elites, Tribalism, and Globalization Are Destroying the Idea of America. And without any further delay, we extend a warm welcome to Professor Hanson. A good morning, sir, and it is great to have you back on America's Roundtable. Good morning to you. Welcome, Professor Hanson. Thank you. Professor Hansen, in your recent piece in regard to the 2022 midterm elections with the title, Let the Blame Games Begin, your first sentence begins with these words, and I quote, Who or what was responsible for the Republican nationwide collapse in the midterms? After all, pundits, politicos, and pollsters all predicted a red wave, unquote. Professor Hansen, could you kindly share your analysis and brief insights on the midterm election results and lessons learned? Some of them were generic to the party in particular. Um, I think what happened was that Joe Biden was has been such an utter failure that they kept reverberating his lapses of so the border and crime, inflation, gas prices, Afghanistan. And in retaliation to that, the Democrats did not defend it. They neither defended the record, nor did they talk about the record. They just used two themes. One was the Republicans were going to have abortions in every back alley in America. And two, they were the party of insurrection, democracy, election denialists. And what happened inadvertently or maybe insidiously when the when the Republicans did not say Here's what Joe Biden did, but more importantly, we're going to build, let's say, 100, we're going to try to get 100 miles of the wall built, or we're going to try to uh, open up Anwar again, or we're going to try to have federal prosecutors go in and see if some of this crime wave can is crossing state lines. They didn't do any of that. They didn't have a contract. So that fed into the Democratic theme that they were rejectionists, nihilists. They didn't mean to do that, but I think they needed a more positive message. The second thing, they were outspent three to one. And this is now an old story that it's very hard 
to outraise the Democrats when not only do they have the hyper rich now in Silicon Valley and Wall Street and the corporate world, but they draw on the smaller contributions of the professional classes, teachers, lawyers, doctors, and the Republicans have not found a formula to match that funding. And then third, the Republicans, uh, I think they were misled by this is there was a democratic faint that said, let's argue over voter IDs on election day. So we had this conundrum for months about the Republicans saying, well, you know, people cast checks all the time with an ID. This is condescending. This is quasi racist to think that minorities can't have an ID. And then the Democrats said, no, you're voter suppression. But the whole time that they were arguing over election day, that was only 30% of the actual ballot total in most states. And why they were doing that, stealthily, they had refined this huge early voting and mail-in ballot uh, industry of 70% of the ballots in many states. So the, the Republicans were going on a wild goose chase, and you wanted to say to them, yes, it's important to have IDs, but You've got to address the vote harvesting, the vote curing, the changes in balloting law that were taking place as early as 2020 or even 18. And they didn't do that. They have never addressed the mail-in balloting and how they're either going to have to join the Democrats or, or work to outlaw third-party harvesting. And, you know, so that was another problem. And then I think there was a lot of disunity in the ranks. Mitch McConnell, had he tapped his huge fund and poured $10 million, say, into Blake Masters or Herschel Walker earlier, uh, or even Dr. Oz earlier. He did finally belatedly so, but if he had done it earlier, and then on the other hand, if Donald Trump, who had about $120 million in his pack, he could have put five or 10 million into Blake Masters and Walker because I, and especially Oz, those were three races that I think we could have won. So there was a misallotment of uh, re what resources we had, and that that hurt as well. And uh, as far as the candidates go, that was a, a commonly discussed theme. It, it's hard to know because, you know, when you see J.D. Vance winning and Blake Masters losing, or you see uh, candidates like O'Day in Colorado that was sanctioned by the mainstream Republican Party not doing very well. It seems to me more likely that, that Democrats just voted, no matter what the Republican uh, ticket was, they voted a straight party line. Mm -hmm. And so that, you know, it was kind of ironic to say, well, Oz was a poor candidate when Fetterman was a virtual candidate. He was a right. non-candidate. Right. Right. And yet he won. He won very easily. Right. And so... The Democrats have a lot more. They got the vote out. They had more party discipline, solidarity. And uh, I think a lot of people finally, one other contributing factor was the Republicans uh, were too rarefied. And, and by that, I mean, when Joe Biden started to do nefarious things like drain the strategic petroleum reserve before the election or mm -hmm. excuse or give amnesties for student loan debt, or give amnesties for marijuana convictions. They sort of said, these are so obvious, obvious that he's pandering, that no, and they're not going to be consequential because the student debt can't be reified before the election. And kids, were, if they get 10 cents a gallon, it'll only be a temporary discount. Nobody is going to fall for this. 
Uh, and then when they started to talk about semi-fascist and un-Americans in those three regrettable speeches of Joe Biden, I think a lot of Republicans said, this is the old McCarthyist. Nobody's going to fall. Well, they did fall for that. They did. It got young people out mm -hmm. to vote because they thought he was going to give them free stuff. And it scared a lot of independents that these people were insurrectionists. And then it scared a lot of women thought, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I'm going to die. Somehow mm -hmm. they didn't take that that pandering seriously. And, and so... All of those contributed to uh, what was otherwise a, a pretty big disappointment. I think finally, maybe even, I don't, this is a little bit more controversial, but I think the inside advantage in Trafalgar poll that had, they were rated three and four in terms of historical accuracy. They had uh, Blake Masters up by two. I think Oz was up by one. They had Kerry Lake up by eight and nine. On the, uh, their theory of voter suppression of republic, a uh, poll suppression of Republican voices, and they really got it wrong because this, the hidden vote this time was the independent uh, female voter without children, who mm -hmm. unmarried without children, and also young people. And so, what they did is inadvertently they sort of, at least in some key precincts. I think a lot of Republicans thought, well, it's going to be a tsunami, and I'm really busy today, and if I don't go out there and vote in person, there's big lines at the polls. I don't do, you know, mail-in balloting. But it won't matter because everybody says we're going to win. And when you add into the mix that, that mm -hmm. Donald Trump, I think, wrongly suggested that Ron DeSantis was wrong to sanctimonious. He kind of attacked him before. That might have, a few thousand key votes might have, stayed home that were for DeSantis that didn't want to vote for a Trump-endorsed candidate, or when he said he was going to make an announcement, but he gave a wink and nod that he was going to run, that might have excited a few left-wing zealots that thought that they could come out. So all of these things, none of them were determinative in themselves, but as force multipliers, eight or nine of these factors, I think, explain what happened. Uh, Professor Hansen, in your excellent piece, The Same Old, Same Old Deja Vu, yes. uh, you write, and I quote, After two prior failed impeachment trials, a failed special counsel's investigation, and a failed and biased January 6th committee probe, Washington government lawyers know that their last and only wild E. Coyote chance of catching the roadrunner and now presidential candidate Trump is to get at least something into the hands of a Washington, D.C. jury, unquote. You also mentioned that the Biden administration's special counsel, Smith's team, will not look into the Biden family quid pro quo syndicate, nor its incriminating confessionals on Hunter Biden's laptop. Professor Hansen, uh, we have a serious problem with the rule of law in America, yeah. whereby one party is using the judicial system to protect their own members, family and loyalists, while weaponizing the same judicial system against the opponents. And uh, this is no different from the communist Eastern Europe. No, it's the same. It's the same playbook. Uh, Professor Hansen, how do we get out of this vicious circle and reverse the trend of America's convergence with communist Eastern Europe? Well, it, that's what's tragic about not winning the Senate, mm. because had we won the Senate, you would have had dramatic 
Senate investigations with subpoena power, such as Rand Paul bringing in Dr. Fauci and grilling him. And you would have had Christopher Ray having to testify under oath. And you may have some degree in the House, but not as they don't have the same powers in the Senate. But uh, you would have had somebody like Christopher Ray under oath trying to explain how many in closed session, how many FBI informants were there on January 6th, things like that. So that that was sad. But you have to you have to to investigate all of these people. And we're not going to see real change until there's a Republican president. And we hope that that Republican president will, in the first 90 days, fire the head of the DOJ, fire the head. You know, he'll have to get rid of the attorney general, obviously, fire the head of the FBI, fire the head of the CIA, fire the head of the IRS. And that's the beginning. And then they're going to have an existential question. And that is, are they going to be Old Testament Republicans or New Testament? Are they going to have Sermon on the Mount turn the other cheek? Or are they going to be an eye for an eye? And that have to be a mixture of both. But at some point, they're going to have to call in people and say, look, you and I think Kevin McCarthy's starting to do that. You established a principle where the minority leader in the House cannot select the party's own members of committees. So just as you denied Jim Jordan and others to be on the January 6th, we're not going to have any squad member or Adam Schiff on any committee. Exactly. And I don't think they want to stoop to tearing up the State of the Union address on national TV. But they're going to have to make it clear to the, the Republicans for each violation of custom and tradition, there's going to be reciprocal action so that they they because they won't stop otherwise. And I think that that's very important that they do that and they make that clear to them. I think part of the problem is that we don't quite understand that the Democratic Party that and I'm 69 years old that I grew up with, my parents were Democrats, Harry Truman Democrats, it no longer exists. And it's been taken over by a neo-socialist it's not even progressive, it's regressive. It's a neo-socialist movement. And they believe that the institutions in America of a disinterested FBI or a fair-minded DOJ do not lend them the proper results. And so they want to structurally change the Constitution and 100 years, 180 years of protocol. So you can see that when they openly now advocate to packing the Supreme Court, which used to be kind of embarrassing even to mention it, given FDR's catastrophe when he tried it. But they want to pack the court. They want to get rid of the filibuster. They want to destroy the Electoral College. They want to bring in a whole, they want to bring in Puerto Rico and the District of Columbia to give them four more senators. They want a national voting law. And they're very, they're very serious about these things. And uh, they're, they're revolutionaries is what I'm trying to get at. And you can really see it with Sam mm -hmm. uh, Bankman Freed and his Stanford Law parents, whom I kind of followed on campus where I work, their writings. They're what we call, what they call themselves, utilitarians. And that's sort of a relativist idea that the means in Marxist terms justify are justified by the ends they produce. Any means are necessary if you're going to help the greatest number of people. And that's why, and I don't, I don't think we in the conservative or traditional side understand what we're up against mm -hmm. sometimes. And you can really see it with Elon Musk. I mean, that's right. the asymmetry there, what they did at Twitter under Dorsey, and then now suddenly they're paranoid. And I think they're paranoid and they're thinking, wow, 
when we had Dorsey and when we controlled Twitter, we suppressed Hunter Biden, Hunter's laptop. We suppressed any Trump story that was positive. We suppressed all communications involving the origins of the Wuhan virus leak. But now that they have it, obviously, they would do what we do. And so they're paranoid that that Elon Musk will think like they do because they fear that they understand what they did. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure that he will. But that's why they hate him so much, because they're so fearful that he would adopt the same tactics that they would adopt if they were in his place. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, Professor Hansen, uh, also in your excellent piece, The Same Old, Same Old Deja Vu, you write about how we can expect the repeat of the 2020 elections in 2024. And in your final statement, you said, yet the only mystery will be why Republicans will still be shocked by deja vu. Unquote. Uh, Professor Hansen, could you kind of share your thoughts about why this mystery? Yeah. It should not be a mystery by now. After all, you so clearly laid it out. And what is your message to American people? What can they do yeah, I, to preserve the government of by and for the people? I, uh, I live on a farm and I farm for a number of years. And when you have a protocol in farming, a fertilization or a herbicide program, or a cultivation program, and it doesn't it doesn't produce the results in your harvest tonnage or quality as your neighbor does. You don't double down on it. You you become introspective. You say I failed, mm-hmm. and you don't blame the weather, although that could be a participatory cause. You don't blame anybody but yourself. So here we have a Republican Party. It seems to me that the head of the RNC should resign. Uh, I think. It won't happen now, but I think Mitch McConnell is of an age and an outlook that is is a cul-de-sac, that he doesn't understand the nature of the left. And we have too many people in the Republican Party that would rather lose nobly than win perhaps less nobly. I, I don't think they want to go down the J.D. Vance, Josh Hawley uh, combative mode. They're just, they play by the Marcus of Queensbury rules, which is noble and it's impressive. And we should admire that, but it will guarantee you lose when you're dealing with neo-socialists, Jacobins, Bolsheviks, as some of these people on the left are. And so they're going to have to decide whether they want to be a continuous minority party. And even though they enjoy majority sport among the population, or whether they want to unite and get tough and, ha- and and have a contract with America and say to people, if you elect us, this is what we're going to do in the first 100 days. Mm-hmm. And we promise we're going to do it. But we have too many entrenched people that are not subject to the consequences of their own policies. Mm-hmm. That is when they fail. Mm-hmm. And they did fail in this midterm. They had a, a once in a lifetime op- uh, opportunity. Absolutely. The president always loses 20 seats his first midterm, Mm -hmm. at least. And a president that's below 40% or at 40% loses about 25 seats Mm -hmm. and maybe two to four Senate seats. 
So they had a chance to take the Senate and, and have a 20-seat majority in the House, and they, and they blew That's it. Right. Professor Hansen, we know that uh, nine months ago, Russia invaded Ukraine. Today, we're seeing the Russian military target energy locations, and power is a real serious issue for the Ukrainians. The mayor of Kiev has even suggested to civilians to actually leave the city and perhaps even go abroad. Uh, But we also have seen significant aid pouring into Ukraine, some $91.7 billion if Biden's able to push his last tranche of support for Ukraine. Uh, that will go in to support Ukraine in defending its border or actually trying to repel the Russians. But at the same time, we are sensing, and there's been red flags of corruption. And just to put that $91.7 billion into context, we know that the UK spent only $68 billion in 2021, and Russia spent only only $66 billion just for the 2021 budget. And there's been some concern about this money going into Ukraine without really proper oversight. House Republican members have said and suggested that it would be wise to have something like that. And what are your thoughts, Professor Hansen, on this prolonged period of conflict and uh, our concerns about the rule of law and not having that independent judiciary in Ukraine? What are we to anticipate in the months to come? Uh, Do we see a good outcome or the same old problems that we see today? Well, I think the left wants to fight to the last Ukrainian. And the problem is that no one took a step back because they were so angry at this blatant aggression on the part of this dictatorship in Russia. There was some elements of a consensual system in Ukraine that, that they were the good guys. And we felt that they were probably going to lose, but then they didn't. So it was this heroic comeback. But that blinded us to the historical reality that Russia is 30 times larger in area. It's four times, almost four times the population. It's got 10 times the GDP. So the only way that Ukraine was going to have a chance was that it was going to draw on the resources of America and the EU, and their economies are so much bigger than Russia. And then they were going to persuade India and China not to intervene or not to supply Russia. And that's almost happened. But what they didn't anticipate is that Vladimir Putin, who supplies 40% of the oil and natural gas to Europe, would cut them off. That's right. And then more importantly, India and China would make up the difference and buy it. Mm -hmm. And then they didn't realize that historically why Russia is very inept when it, it goes into Finland um, in 39, or it goes into Japan in 1905, or it goes into Poland in 21. You can go list all of the failed expeditionary uh, operations of the Russian military, whether it's czarist, communist, or post-communist. But when you start to get near Russian territory on the borders, or you start to engage in retaliatory strikes inside Russia, or you start to sink the Black Sea fleet, then the parallel shifts. You look at Charles XII of Sweden who invaded Russia, or you look at Napoleon who invaded Russia, or you look at Hitler who invaded Russia. And its people are nonchalant about going into other countries. They're not good expedition. But when you start to get on their borders and Russian-speaking areas, they start to solidify. And so I'm afraid that we're into a Verdun or a Somme-like situation. And we're starting to see some things that I haven't seen in my lifetime where 
The United States has very little, if any, supplies now of Javelin missiles. They don't have artillery shells. Uh, they don't have artillery platforms. They don't have enough wherewithal to supply South Korea if it were to be invaded or Taiwan if it were to be invaded, unless they go to a, a complete war footing and mobilize the industries like World War II. And we haven't done that. So we have drained our strategic reserves well apart from the $80 billion, $90 billion that's not accounted. And then we have, the left has kind of taken the Ukraine in a very strange psychological mechanism that after the Robert Mueller failure and Russian collusion, they were so intent on finding the demon Vladimir Putin that when they didn't find his fingerprints on elections with Donald Trump, there was no collusion. They they didn't skip a beat. They just said, well, you know what? Now he's we, we were right all along because he went into Ukraine and they started to go after. And the problem with that was that most conservatives were perfectly happy to say that Vladimir Putin was an autocrat mm. and not a very good guy. And he had hijacked that government from the Russian people. And but he didn't collude with Donald Trump, right. but they were using they were using this war. And I could see it at Stanford where I work. I would ride my bicycle around neighborhoods that that would have our uh, signs like Russian, uh, Russian, uh, Putin, Devin Nunes. And then all of a sudden, six months later, it would be a Ukrainian flag, the same house. <laughs> they, you know what I mean? It, right. it became it fulfilled a psychological need vis-a-vis -vis Russia. And so the left really got fanatical. Usually it's an anti-war left, mm -hmm. but they want to. And I've had a lot of debates with people about sinking. They want to sink the Black Sea fleet. They want to uh, conduct raids into Russia to destroy fuel depots. They want to supply Ukraine with sophisticated aircraft. And so we're getting to the point where people in their zeal are overlooking two fundament, three fundamental issues, and I'll finish. One is they have whitewashed the Ukrainian government. They've made it into something that's not, it's a struggling democracy that's flawed and corrupt and it has strong ties, unfortunately, with the Biden administration right. in the past. Mm -hmm. And number two, they have demonized the Russian people. So they have they've made everything Russia evil. And whether you think that's true or not, historically, we have used Russia to balance to balance China and the Kissinger's formula that Russia should never be closer to China than us and China should never be closer to Russia than to us. Mm -hmm. And we've lost a foil, mm -hmm. which is unfortunate because China is a much more existential threat. And then finally, we're completely forgetting that Vladimir Putin is aging, he's ill, and he's got his hand on 7,000 deliverable nuclear weapons. Mm -hmm. and, and they think this can't happen. Nobody in their right mind would ever think about it. But if Russia is an extremist, uh, they have the ability, whether conventional or nuclear, to destroy Ukraine. And I think you can see with these missile attacks, uh, they have the ability to shut down its power grid. They have the, the ability to create a reign of terror in Ukraine. And we don't have an ability without radical escalation and more aid to stop it. And we, but we're going to come to an existential point very quickly that once the population starts to flee in greater numbers from Ukraine and he starts hitting the power grid in greater frequency and, and effectiveness, 
Ukraine is going to be in a, in a very, it's going to be fighting heroically on the borders and winning while in its rear, its wherewithal, its infrastructure is being systematically destroyed by drones and missiles. Mm -hmm. and, and, and we don't have an answer for that. Mm -hmm. And so I don't see how it ends. I never hear from people on the left. Uh, and I've had some debates at Hoover with people. They don't want to end it mm. with negotiations. Mm. Maybe a plebiscite of six or seven different nations overseeing a plebiscite in the Russian-speaking borderlands mm. that would give Putin a way out. Or Because uh, I don't even think the 70% of Russian speakers would necessarily want to join Russia at this point, right. given its pariah status. Mm. But there has to be some off-ramp. Because uh, otherwise, this is going to go on for three. It's going to be like the second Chechnyan war where he leveled Grozny finally. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And Professor Hansen, your final thoughts. Uh, we're constantly drawn into a rhetoric of left and right. And you mentioned also your parents were uh, Truman Democrats. Yeah. And at this moment, we are moving into an existential threat to America for citizens of left and right on domestic and foreign policy front. Ronald Reagan's speech, which was considered a turning point in his life called A Time of Choosing, he said, and I quote, you and I are told we must choose between a left or right, but I suggest there's no such thing as a left or right. There's only on up or down, up to man's age-old dream, the maximum of individual freedom consistent with order, or down to the end heap of totalitarianism. Uh, Professor Hansen, what are your thoughts about America's political parties and the people embracing men's age-old dream, the maximum of individual freedom consistent with order? Yeah, I, I agree with what you're saying. It's no longer, there's no longer boundaries within which both parties promise to play within. The parameters don't exist anymore because the left is a nihilistic left. Mm. It doesn't like the origins of America. It doesn't like its adolescence and maturity. And it wants to change the civilization. It wants to make us uh, into a kind of a neo-socialist, non-exceptional place. And if you, I'll just finish by saying, if you and uh, us three said, how would we destroy America in two years? Well, we would probably say, let's end energy self-sufficiency and let's weaponize the FBI and the CIA and the DOJ so there's not an equal application of justice. Let's re redefine crime as sort of a justifiable social reaction against injustice and let people out the day they commit violent crimes to the extent that our cities are unlivable. Mm. Or we would say... Let's not define America as a particular place or that the citizen is different than the resident. And so let's just open the border and destroy immigration law. Let anybody come in without an audit at the time of a, a pandemic. Or let's say that let's inflate the economy by printing $4 trillion at a period of increased consumer demand when we should have been very careful. But let's inflate the currency on the theory that people who have cash have too much so we're going to lessen the value of currency and the people who don't have it are going to have something and we're going to give it to them by redistribution or let's say you know the internal combustion engine is fossilized we don't need it and we're going to shut down uh, the means of producing gas and oil let's take the universities in k-12 through and stop inductive education and turn to either therapeutic or indoctrination and let's take racial relations and no longer 
feel that the way we look superficially is incidental, but it's essential to who we are. We're tribal. We're going to be like the former Yugoslavia, Rwanda, or Iraq. Mm -hmm. And we're going to have a war of tribes against each other. And, and that's what we've done the last two years. It was almost a textbook plan. And I'm not a conspiracist, but I can't think of a, a, a more comprehensive way of weakening the United States and what happened. Yeah. Thank you, Professor Hansen, for joining us on America's Roundtable. We appreciate your continued leadership in challenging us, informing us, and in fact, motivating us to do more. Thank you so much, sir. Thank you, Professor Hansen. Thank you. This is America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C., an initiative of the U.S.-based think tank International Leaders Summit in partnership with Lancer Broadcasting Corporation and Supertalk Mississippi Media. Thank you for joining us on America's Roundtable. I'm Joe Ladensami, your co-host, joined by economist Natasha Serdorch, co-founder of International Leaders Summit and the Jerusalem Leaders Summit. America's Roundtable guests include leading voices from business, government, media, energy, technology, healthcare, and the broad policy arena. Subscribe to America's Roundtable on Apple Podcasts, Amazon, and Spotify. Visit America's Roundtable at americasrt.com. americasrt.com. Follow us on Facebook, America's Roundtable, and Twitter at americasrt. We invite donors and advertisers to reach us by visiting our website, americasrt.com. Welcome to America's Roundtable.